we all feel the weight um, of the state of Georgia on our shoulders. Um, but when you you look back in February, you know January, March, April, May, um, when you know people are focusing on basketball or baseball, and we're running in the stadium at 6 a.m. Um, and it sucks, and you're and you're kind of like, why do we do this? You know, and the reason is for when I fumble on the 10 yard line and we give up a touchdown, then we go back and we score two straight drives. That's the reason. You know, these two guys that are sitting up here, they're not defined by one game. These guys played great for us all year. They're great competitors. They were great leaders on this team, uh, and they that they contributed tremendously to the success of this team and we would not be here without them. Right? And both of them take responsibility for the loss, um, but both of them contributed in a lot of ways, in a positive way, to giving us a chance to win and a chance to be here to have an opportunity to win. So I just want to thank them for that and let everybody know how proud I am of these two guys. Thank you, Coach. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, lots and lots of news around the SEC since we've uh, last had a show. Took the holiday off, getting here, ready. Couldn't go another day, though, without having a podcast to hook you guys up on your daily commute there after a busy, busy week here in the SEC. And most of this stuff, Alabama, Georgia-related, just because... They obviously had their seasons went a lot longer than everyone else in the SEC, so a lot of decisions, a lot of staff changes coming to those two teams. But, hey, as always, we like to uh, hit on all the SEC teams if possible, so I came up with a little idea here. It's crazy to think, but it's true. We only have two coaches in the SEC right now that have won the conference, and it's a combination of factors. Many Lots of coaching turnover in the SEC, but of course, Nick Saban dominating the league. Kirby Smart, aside from uh, Florida winning it uh, a year ago, dominating the East. So, which coaches will be next? I've ranked the coaches in order from least to most likely to break through and win the SEC in the years ahead. So, we'll get to that in just a minute. But, hey, as always, we like to start with something funny if we can. And we're going to go a little bit deeper on Stetson Bennett here in just a second. But if you missed it, he's now a spokesperson for, I believe it's called Raising Cane's Chicken. And he got himself one hell of a troll on Alabama. Let's check it out here. I'll throw it up on the YouTube. But if you're just watching Stetson Bennett, and keep in mind, he's getting paid for these ads. So (laughs) he's got a uh, photo there of himself at raising canes working the counter and he's telling a customer yeah that'll be 33 18 and of course every alabama georgia fan knows the significance of those numbers if you don't that was the score of the national championship game 33 18 so stetson bennett not only is he getting paid now he's an endorser and he's still finding a way to troll alabama in the process so Man, that guy's legend continues to grow in Athens, and that's going to be something I'm going to talk about here in just a second. But wanted to uh, give you guys the latest on who has declared and who is transferred and who is coming back. And we'll start 
with the Georgia Bulldogs here. Players set to return. We always, you know, let's try to keep it as positive as we can here. These players are officially set to return next season. Linebacker Nolan Smith, that's the big one. Former number one overall recruit. He had a good season, but hey, still room for him to grow. He's going to be a leader for the Bulldogs next season on that defense. So he's coming back. And you got a trio of defensive backs poised to return in William Poole. He had the big pass break up there in the national championship game. His role is going to be increased next season. Tyke Smith, the transfer from West Virginia, got banged up this year. Next year, next year has an opportunity to make a big impact for the Bulldogs. He'll be back. And Chris Smith, of course, the hero of uh, the opener, the Clemson game. So, and we got four notable defenders all returning for the Georgia Bulldogs. But on the flip side, man, do we got a lot of guys declaring for the NFL draft. And it starts with the trios of linebackers here. Nakobe Dean, got to imagine he's going to be one of the first linebackers selected in the in the 2022 NFL draft. Channing Tindell and Quay Walker. Now, Quay Walker has not officially announced it, but he has accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl. So, so whether he's officially announced it or not, you cannot go to the Senior Bowl and come back to college. So Quay Walker off to the NFL along with Channing Tindall and N'Kobe Dean. Defensive backs, Lewis Seen, outstanding, all SEC. He was huge in the national championship game. He has declared. Darion Kendrick, the transfer for Clemson, he has declared for the draft. On the defensive line, Travon Walker, Jordan Davis, of course, his, uh, I think he could have came back as a super senior, but the big man, you know, he this he was coming back to win it all. Mission accomplished. He's off to the NFL. George Pickens, the outstanding receiver, who just finally started to get healthy at the end of the season. He's off to the NFL. Zamir White, James Cook. Hell, they both could be in the NFL already, but they are officially headed to the 2022 NFL Draft. Jamari Salyer is off to the NFL along with Justin Schaefer. Punter Jake Kamara. I mean, this team's loaded. You know your team's damn loaded when the punter is leaving for the NFL, but uh, Jake Kamara, one of the best not only in the SEC, but the entire country. So Georgia's going to have a ton of players that they have to replace next season on the field. I'm Surely they're going to get some additions to the transfer portal. That'll be um, you know, something we'll have to keep an eye on. We'll definitely keep you updated. But that ain't even all of them either because we got players in the transfer portal. And the biggest one, JT Daniels, now backup quarterback, start of the year as Georgia's starting quarterback. He's not going to be around. And again, we'll get to Stetson Bennett in just a second, but that kind of adds a little layer of intrigue there for Stetson. But we got a trio of defensive, excuse me, four defensive backs. Lavoisier Carroll, transfer portal, Amir Speed, Latravius Brenny, Jalen Kimber, all in the transfer portal. And Kimber has already announced he is going to stay in the division. He's going to play for Billy Napier at Florida. So, some little intrigue there. And finally, receiver Justin Robinson in the portal. And he's already made his decision. He's going to Mississippi State to play for Mike Leach. So, man, we're, we're talking 18 players I just rattled off there. Not going to be returning for the Georgia Bulldogs. And that doesn't even include, uh, you know, guys that are just eligibility exhausted. I mean, this is, you know, a little bit of what we've seen. Alabama goes through this annually. LSU certainly after the national championship game, they had to do some rebuilding and they 
largely failed to do it. So that's going to be the challenge in Athens next season. Of course, Kirby Smart recruits as well as anybody in the country. Him, Jimbo, and Nick Saban, they basically have no peers when it comes to the recruiting game. So, hey, we ain't sitting over here crying for the Georgia Bulldogs. They've still got a loaded roster, still going to be the preseason favorites to repeat in the East. But where does that leave things with Stetson Bennett? And if you missed it, probably should have led with this. <laughs> Apologize, but Georgia, man, they had their national championship celebration over the weekend. Uh, basically sold out Sanford Stadium. Let's cut to, if, if you're watching on the YouTube, clips of uh, just the scene there. But, I mean, basically the entire Sanford Stadium completely filled with fans cheering on Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs. And we had all the former coaches there like Mark Richt. Ray Goff, Jim Donnan, Vince Dooley. I mean, what other college town has all the former coaches still living in it? That's just what a special place Athens is. So let's kick it over to this Kirby Smart clip. I thought this was one of the best ones he had at the podium, giving credit to all the players for putting in the hard work to get where they wanted to be and win that na elusive national championship down there in Athens. Thank you guys. Thank you. Being here today on Dooley Field brings back a lot of special memories uh, for me. But as our players sit to my left and right, all these guys over here and all these guys over here, what you 95,000, 100,000 people don't get to see is these guys in here at 6 a.m. about a year ago this time, running on this field, sweating, uh, blood, tears. Before we came out today, the first thing a lot of these guys were thinking about is how much work they did in this stadium in the morning. And I want to give these guys a round of applause for all they've done for this university. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Stand up. Thank you guys. A lot of people to thank. You know, you, you, you don't get success in life. You don't have um, the things we've been able to have without support. And, uh, you know, I spent a long time wanting to get back to Georgia, but it was very important to me that I got back to a place that could support the kind of football program that we wanted to have, that this state deserves. And that wouldn't happen without our administration. President Moorhead, Josh Brooks, Greg McGarity, who was here when I got here, Therese Griffin, I have a tremendous amount of respect for our administration. We have uh, really accelerated our facilities. That wouldn't be possible without the support of our administration and without the support of our fan base. And to you guys, I say thank you, and I say thanks to our administration. Give them a round of applause, please. So I took a really roundabout way of getting here, but now, of course, the challenge is getting back up. Everyone's telling you how great you are. We, we're trolling Alabama here in paid advertisements if we're Stetson Bennett. Where do the Georgia Bulldogs go from here? Kirby Smart 
he's out there. He's been he's been saying, hey, we want Stetson back. But if you missed it, Stetson, during his appearance on uh, Good Morning America, he basically put it on the coaches on whether he'd be back or not. He says he will be playing football next season. But, you know, where that is, is yet to be determined as of uh, this recording, Monday, 8 o'clock at night is when we're recording this. But, you know, I think Stetson Bennett, of course, now with JT Daniels in the transfer portal, of course, JT, he can always pull his name out of it. But, you know, that leads me to believe that Stetson is probably leaning towards a return. But I just think this is fascinating because with all the defections we've had on this great, great defense, an all-time defense, I'm not saying Georgia's defense is going to be trash or anything next year, but it's just going to be very unrealistic for Georgia to have that same level of consistency on that side of the ball. And that's before we, you know, we even even talking about Dan Lanning off to Oregon to be the head coach. So this Georgia team is likely going to have to be led by the offense next season. Now, they've got the firepower. They were very efficient this year. But, hell, again, they're losing some pieces off the offense. It's They're going to have to plug in some key pieces at running back and the offensive line and George Pickens, of course, off to the NFL. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is Stenson Bennett right now is a legend forever in the minds of Dog Nation. And this is a guy that, uh, and myself included, I'll throw myself in here because uh, I've been questioning how good he is and whether they can win the national championship with Stetson Bennett. I didn't think they could uh, until we got to about November of the season. Yet a lot of people still doubting whether Stetson Bennett can be the guy. How is that going to come to pass next season when, you know, I don't want to say he's a game manager or anything like that because he certainly wasn't. I mean, Georgia was down late in that game. They needed Stetson Bennett to win them that national championship, and he did. Can he deliver it, be a Bryce Young-esque type player for them next season? Does he have it in him? And what happens if he falls short? Does he tarnish any of that legacy? Uh, what happens if, uh, you know, we, we've got a pair of five stars here that we just signed that are eager to see the field? Who knows? Caleb Williams rumors are out there. I haven't heard much of that here lately, but... If JT Daniels does leave, you got to think that Georgia's going to at least consider possibly adding to the quarterback room via the transfer portal. What does that do for Stenson Bennett? So there's just so many moving parts here, and it's going to be fascinating to see. Can Stenson Bennett, if he's basically the, the face of your program, the star of the offense on a team that doesn't have an all-time great defense, can he lead you back? to the SEC championship game, back to the college football playoff. Not saying he can't. Maybe he just thrives on people like me questioning it. And, I mean, hell, the guy just won a national championship. Maybe he's got a, still got a chip on his shoulder, that, and that may be, be the reason he returns and why JT Daniels apparently has got one foot out the door here in the transfer portal, which is uh, I should have given him credit, first reported by Mike Griffith of uh, Dog Nation. So, you know, that is going to be one of the biggest storylines here in the SEC, the offseason. What's Stetson Bennett going to do? And it wouldn't shock me if he left. wouldn't shock me if he returned. But the fact that uh, he's not made his decision yet, I think that speaks to how conflicted he is on, on many, many levels. And, you know, I, I'm not sitting here saying he's going off to the NFL, but it, he may find himself uh, having a better time somewhere else and, and not wanting to tarnish 
the legacy that uh, he's got in front of him there in Athens. So, of course, Alabama, unfortunately, lost the national championship game. But So they've had a lot of players, similar situation as Georgia. You know, they didn't want to make their announcements till after the season. And uh, on the last episode, we hit on some of the guys leaving. Let's start again with the positive guys coming back to improve their stock and hopefully defend their SEC title and win the national title. Henry Toa Toa, outstanding linebacker. He's coming back for a second season there in Tuscaloosa, fourth season overall. All SEC safety Jordan Battle, that's huge for that defense. DeMarco Hellams, he is also back. DJ Dale, the defensive lineman, Brian Young, and then Emil Ikior. I'm sure I butchered his name there, but uh, so Alabama going to be strong in the line of trenches with some stud players, particularly here on the defensive side of the ball. So Alabama has got the potential to be pretty nasty with a lot of these key players committed to returning for another season at Tuscaloosa. But, you know, as we hit on the last episode, Jamison Williams and Evan Neal off to the NFL. They have since been joined by John Menchie and Slade Bolden. And what does that mean for Alabama's receiving core? They are losing 241 catches, 3,479 receiving yards, and 30 touchdowns from just those three players. So, man, a huge, huge hole here. Bryce Young. I mean, they've, they're loaded with talent down there, but not experience. Not like losing what they're going to lose with, though. Jamison Williams, John Menchie, and Slade Bolden off to the NFL. That is going to be the storyline, I think, uh, in the offseason in Tuscaloosa. Who's going to emerge as the key targets there for Bryce Young going into his second year as a starting quarterback? And that's not all because a pair of outstanding linebackers, Christian Harris, Christopher Allen, both off to the NFL. Jalen Armour Davis, the defensive back, he's gone. And the defensive lineman, Fedarian Mathis, also off to the NFL. So Alabama's got a little bit of a, we can't call it a rebuild. That's crazy to say, but uh, they've got to restock some talent down there. And that's before we get to the transfer portal. Paul Tyson, the quarterback, he's gone. Off to Arizona State. Jamel Billingsley, tight end, he's off to Texas. Drew Sanders, linebacker, we'll get to him in a second, but he's gone, staying in the SEC. Jalen Moody, Shane Lee, both linebackers gone. Tommy Brown, offensive lineman, gone. Receiver Javon Baker, he's gone. I mean, again, Georgia had 18. Alabama's got 16 players here, and that's just counting guys that have declared for the draft or entered the transfer portal, not players that have exhausted their eligibility. So, Again, I know no one's going to be sitting here crying for Alabama or Georgia, but a lot, a lot of talent off that roster heading into next season. And those two programs, no stranger to having to replace talent, but something to consider. I mean, this is an opportunity for the teams below them to kind of catch up a little bit. And if they do, it's going to be because of these losses they've suffered since uh, the national championship game. Now, those weren't the only news and notes across the SEC, just with Alabama and Georgia. And, you know, it was just a couple days ago, it was doom and gloom down there in Fayetteville. Oh, my God, all these defensive backs leaving. Well, you may have gotten a better one here because former LSU defensive back Dwight McLaughlin, he is committed to Arkansas. It's a nice little pickup there for Sam Pittman and company. And Drew Sanders, former five-star Alabama linebacker. You know, he was at one point projected to start for Alabama this season. 
and just got banged up, never happened, and uh, top 25 overall prospect just two recruiting cycles ago picks Arkansas over Texas and Oklahoma. Very coveted transfer portal prospect, and already had the Arkansas fans hit me up. Dwight McLaughlin versus Joe Fouché, Greg Brooks, who won that trade? And that's kind of where we're at now in college football. We're basically trading defensive backs and all this, but you know, I don't hold it against these guys because I'm hearing, you know, why would these Louisiana kids go back to the school that didn't want them? It doesn't quite work that way. It was more about Coach O and Corey Redman, former coaches there, Dave Aranda. You know, those are the guys that were at LSU when Joe Fouché and Greg Brooks were being recruited out of high school. So how is that on Brian Kelly, Madhouse, and the new defensive staff down there at LSU, it's it's not at all. And that's the same reason we got Dwight McLaughlin leaving LSU. So you can't hold it against him either. He came to play for Coach O, for Corey Raymond, who are no longer there. When when your coaches leave, a lot of times your the, those ties to the school, you know, it just changes completely. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of dancing around the topic here, but who won this one? That's tough to say. I think LSU certainly on the field next season – may come out a little bit ahead, but that's because Fouché and Greg Brooks were so experienced. I mean, they're plug-and-play guys. I'm not saying they're you know, going to be all SEC next year in a new system with a new team, but you got to like those additions. While on the flip side for Arkansas, I like the fact that we're getting a guy here that has started in the SEC. He's got a much higher ceiling than either of the ones you just lost. And he's got more eligibility. Same thing with Drew Sanders here. So, Hey, at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I think Arkansas, if you got to give a win, so to quote unquote, to one of them, I give it to the Razorbacks here, but it's, it is by a slim margin. I mean, you lost two good players. You're bringing in two very, very talented players that uh, if all goes according to plan, they're going to be day one starters for you in Barry Odom's defense next season. Now, jumping down to Gainesville, we had some uh, big news here over the weekend because Brenton Cox, the linebacker, committed to returning to play for Billy Napier, the first-year head coach down there in Gainesville. That's big for that front seven, but that is not even close to uh, all the news down there in Gainesville because, hey, we just landed another Louisiana lineman. I mean, my goodness, Billy Napier's got about uh, five or four or five of the best players on Louisiana following him to Gainesville. This time it's Osiris Torrance and he picked Florida over LSU so that's gonna make put an extra smile on Billy Napier's face for uh you know when LSU's job came open we we all know Billy Napier that was a name being thrown around but uh now he's landed Louisiana prospects out of the state to come play for the Florida Gators and former I mentioned this former Georgia defensive back Jalen Kimber number nine cornerback in the country in the 2020 recruiting class he is headed to Florida. So, hey, Billy Napier is doing some things there, and he rounded out his staff. This was, I couldn't believe this hire, incredible hire here. I know it didn't work out well for him at North Carolina, but former North Carolina Tar Heel defensive coordinator Jay Bateman hired by Billy Napier to be the linebackers coach at Florida. And we're talking about the Frank Broyles Award. I believe he was a semifinalist just a couple of years ago, came from Army, if I'm not mistaken, outstanding defensive coordinator. And they just had a down year at North Carolina. Change had to be made. But 
man, Billy Napier, impressive, impressive staff he's putting together down there in Gainesville. You're getting one of the uh, best assistant coaches in the country to come coach your linebackers. I mean, that's that's a win all the, all across the board there. But hey, it ain't, it ain't all doom and gloom there for LSU either. I <laughs> I feel like I'm bagging on them here, but hey, they landed a Louisiana prospect of themselves because they got Kyron Lacey to transfer to Baton Rouge. He got 50 passes last season, 668 yards, 10 touchdowns in his two seasons, excuse me, playing for Billy Napier at Louisiana. So LSU needed some help at the receiver position. They got it. And now they know who's going to be coaching those guys because former Georgia's receivers coach Cortez Hankerton is leaving the national champions, coming home to Louisiana to coach for Brian Kelly. And this is yet another tie to Louisiana for Brian Kelly's coaching staff, which is, you know, one of the biggest question marks I had for when Brian Kelly got hired down there. Ties to Louisiana, didn't really have them. Now we've we got Frank Martin down there. We got Hankerton down there. I mean, some really, really big ties to the state. Frank Wilson's ki- is getting all these players to come to Louisiana. And I th- right before we hopped off the line, Noah Kane, last episode, the former Penn State running back, he had also committed to LSU. So the Tigers are doing a good job of making sure that roster's in good shape heading into spring. And more good news right before we hopped on the line here. Jare Jenkins announced he would return to LSU for another season. He was considering a jump to the NFL draft. So the receiver position, they need that depth there. We've got Kayshawn Boutte committed to returning for another season in Baton Rouge. Getting Lacey from Louisiana. Hey, all of a sudden, I know the early signing period didn't go the way a lot of LSU fans wanted, but we're right in the ship here under Brian Kelly now that we've got a full coaching staff and uh, you know that's something we'll be breaking down here a lot of these first year head coaches their coaching staffs and uh, we'll we'll be uh, I'll be doing a more breakdown on those as hey we got all off season to talk stuff like that but I'll go on a deep dive on each of these but uh, Brian Kelly put himself a great staff but one last thing before we get to uh, you know it's basically list season now as Shane likes to call it get to my little rankings here of uh, SEC coaches most likely to win their first SEC title in the years to come. How about this? I mean, this was, uh, <laughs> see, catching a lot of eye rolling here, but this is something we touched on, and, uh, you know, I cast my ballot, so to speak. I don't have an official one, even though I am a member of the Football Writers Association of America. But the FWAA announced here on Monday evening the winner of the Steve Spurrier First Year Coach Award, Gus Malzahn, Shane Beamer, Josh Heupel, those were your finalists. And seeing a lot of confusion here, people are like, why in the hell Josh Heupel and Gus Malzahn on the list? They've been coaches. It's not first-time coaches, first-year coaches. So literally anybody in their first year at a school eligible for this award. And they announced co-winners. <laughs> Shane Bieber and Josh Heupel, co-winners of that award. I don't know why the hell they're giving out an award if they're going to co winner it I think they've done that once before in the the 20 years they've been giving this thing out but man the the meme of uh Shane Beamer celebrating getting stomped at Tennessee I mean I've I'm getting tired of seeing that in my mentions but it is it's just so it's funny as hell to see so many fans <laughs> responding to that <laughs> where <laughs> it's it's all Tennessee people but 
South Carolina, I mean, they, you got two, you got yourself a hell of a coach. Both those programs do. And, uh, you know, I, it's funny. I'm poking fun of the, that they're co-winners, but at the end of the day, South Carolina, Tennessee, the arrow's pointing way up and it's got a lot to do with, uh, the coach, each respective coach you got down there. And that's a great segue here to get to my rankings here of coaches most likely to win their first SEC title in the years to come. And of course, I mean, I don't care who you are. You got to have Clark Lee last on your list, number 12. And not necessarily a reflection on him, but more the fact that uh, just, I mean, they're in total rebuild mode in Vanderbilt. I haven't won an SEC game in two years. I mean, it's going to take a while for this guy to field even a competitive roster in the SEC. So, hey, better days are ahead. Just signed a hell of a recruiting class, but yeah, there's no chance in hell anybody but uh, Clark Lee is going to be number 12 on this list for now. Number 11, all right, here's where we're already going to have people complain, no doubt. But uh, I'm going Eli Drinkwitz, Missouri. And again, I'm not saying you got a poor coach or anything. I, obviously, last season was disappointing given the hype all off season, But I just think you got a long way to go in terms, particularly in the line of scrimmage. Now, I know you just had a uh, hell of a recruiting class here, but you're going to have to stack about three more of those on top of each other before you can realistically say you're going to be winning SEC titles. Loving what I'm seeing from the offenses, given uh, you know who they've had to work with under center. I, d- I made it very clear. I don't. I didn't think Connor Bazelak was all he's cracked up to be, and, and certainly I think that played out on the field this year. So how does this thing go when... Drinkwitz got his guy in there. Remember, he didn't recruit Connor Bazelak. He was he inherited him. Uh, I believe every quarterback, no, two of the quarterbacks now in the running for the starting job next season are going to be Drinkwitz guys and uh, throw in Brady Cook in there. But, hey, he looked solid in the bowl game, I thought, given uh, all the uh, losses they had. But we just got a long way to go here in Missouri. Going to have to see a big bounce back from Drinkwitz before I move him up this list. Now, number 10, I'm going to lose some of you because <laughs> you're already in love with this man and he's not coached a damn game at, at your school yet. But for now, I'm putting Billy Napier number 10, Florida Gators. Now, no doubt, very impressive. Uh, I mean, I think arguably more impressive than any hire in the SEC right now is what Billy Napier has done in terms of putting his staff together, in terms of recruiting. And he does got a lot of talent to work with coming uh, into his first year here in Gainesville. But, I mean, I've heard this all before. I've heard this same song and dance. We all get excited about these coaches. And at Florida, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's been outside of Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer. You ain't winning a big down there. Now, you got the fan base. You got the now you're building the facilities. You've got uh, a tradition that goes back decades now of being excellent. So all the pieces are in place. Not saying he can't do it. Damn near uh, won the Sun Belt every year he was in it. So, I mean, he has got a pedigree of knowing what it takes to win at a high level at uh, the Sun Belt Conference level. But until we see it in the SEC, I mean, he's kind of like, I don't want to say a blank canvas because we've seen he's got such a strong track record of winning on the field, but not running a program in the SEC. I'm not sitting here doubting him, but until we see it, I can't in good conscience put him any higher than number 10 right now. Now, number nine, love this coach, 
but I don't, <laughs> I don't know if he'll win an SEC title. Mike Leach, and here's why. Because at, this isn't just a Mississippi State thing. This has been across his entire coaching career. I mean, he'll turn around, he'll win a big game like at Texas A&M, like he did this year at Auburn, and then they turn around and they lose a tough one, like a Memphis, uh, like an Ole Miss. I know Ole Miss was very good this year, but your team basically you know, showed up with its C-minus game and the biggest game of the year. So this, that's just something that has plagued him from so many years, and I don't know if they can win down there at the at – I'm talking a conference championship level without – a stellar defense, and I think they could possibly get there with Zach Arnett. He's that good. Can they hold on to him? Seems like every year someone's trying to poach that guy uh, from Mississippi State. So you keep to Zach Arnett. You continue to build this defense, this offense up like you did last season. It started a little slow, and then it really, really started humming by midseason, late in the season. Got to get that more consistently year in and year out. And then maybe I'll move Mike Leach up on the list. Number eight, I got Brian Harson. Now, hell, I was about ready to give this guy SEC Coach of the Year at the midway point in the season. Uh, I know it seems like an eternity ago, but, you know, coming into November, late October, Auburn controlled their destiny in the SEC West, and I thought they were going to be dead last in the West. Now, they ended up number six, so not far off from that. But that goes to show you, and I think this guy really is a good coach. I know the wheels fell off late in the season. It's been a tough couple of months for Brian Harson and company, but I think that's all part of the buy-in process. And don't forget, this is a guy that I believe he's from Boise. I know he played there, coached there forever. I mean, this guy bleeds blue down there. You know what I mean? So he left the comfort of that job, a job he knew he was going to win eight, nine, ten games every single season. For the rest of the time, he could have been there 50 years. They would have had 50 years of success. He left the comfort to come to the SEC West, to come to where coaches' careers come to die. I mean, this guy, he came down to win a championship. That's his sole reason for doing it. And they weren't going to win it. And I'm talking national championship here, SEC championships. They're not going to do that at Boise. I don't care who you got at quarterback. or It just ain't going to happen. It's just... It's minor league compared to the SEC. So I give him a ton of credit. And, uh, you know, I think they're a long ways off from winning the SEC, clearly. But I think I've seen enough from this guy to know that uh, he's potentially got it in him to get Auburn there. Now, number seven, here's where things are starting to get uh, trickier. But I'm going Shane Beamer, South Carolina, because I've been very, very, very impressed with what Shane Beamer's been doing in his first year in Columbia. I think the best is yet to come. And just given the fact that they made a bowl game, not the less beat the hell out of North Carolina when they got there, I mean, just could not be more impressed with uh, all the adversity and the, the lack of uh, elite talent they had on that roster, yet they were able to put it together. They were able to get the most out of a lot of these players. And then you're getting quarterback injuries left and right even before the season started. Really had to gut that thing out. But Shane Beamer, very impressive. I think, uh, you know, as long as they continue to, to point the, the arrow in the right direction, they continue to recruit well, both high school and in the transfer portal. Don't be sh- stunned if uh, the Gamecocks win them an SEC title under Shane Beamer. Number six, probably going to catch some hell for this one. Mark Stoops, Kentucky. 
Now, hey, they may be Georgia's best competition here in the East next season, no doubt. They continue to build a program that's competing more often than not in the SEC. My problem with Mark Stoops in these big games, I don't know. I mean, he's never beat Georgia, beaten Florida twice, but just look at his analytics. His analytics are not pretty. He beats the teams he's supposed to beat, the teams that have more talent than him, rarely, rarely beats them. And he's going to have to do that. I don't care how well they're recruiting at Kentucky because when we're talking winning the SEC, you got to beat Georgia and you got to turn around and beat Alabama or A&M or LSU. Now, they're doing it more consistently. They're showing up in these games. They're finding ways to win football games. But I don't know. Like I see I see Kentucky fans touting their non-conference record, which is outstanding. I, I believe they've got the longest non-conference streak in the SEC, but then you go through and look who they've played. And I think it's smart. I think that's the same damn thing. South Carolina, Arkansas, Missouri. I mean, that's what you should be doing. Vanderbilt, of course. You should be scheduling winnable games in the non-conference because we all know that in the SEC there's no guarantees. And the difference between 2-5 and 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 5-2 in the SEC can be razor, razor thin from year in and year out. So, Hey, I got no problem with how they're doing it at Kentucky. I think it's genius. I think it's the way to do it. But I just, I don't know if Mark Stoops big game coach yet. He's a hell of a recruiter. I think he's got an incredible eye for talent. He does a really, really good job identifying assistant coaches. But winning the SEC, it's going to take some upsets. And I just, I'm not seeing that consistently from Mark Stoops to give him much higher than number six right now. Top five, number five, I'm going Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss. And the results speak for themselves. I mean, he has completely turned Ole Miss around basically overnight. And that's factoring in a damn COVID year where it was a nightmare to to install everything. But yet in year two, I know he had a hell of a quarterback, but you're breaking program records for most wins. And, you know, let's give him credit for identifying assistants that know how to get the job done. I mean, I think Lane Kiffin, and I know, hey, I'm the worst of anybody's calling him out for the fake injuries, but at the same time, we got to credit this guy for sitting here and looking at the rules and saying, okay, how can we bend them, not break them, how can we bend them a little to play to our advantage and there's no repercussions? I mean, he's just being smart. Whether you love it like and you're an Old Miss fan or you hate it like I do, hey, he's He's playing the cards that he's got, and he's doing it masterfully. So I think Lane Kiffin, uh, you know, now that he is more mature, uh, even though he's constantly tweeting, but more mature of a CEO on the field, I think the best is yet to come from old Lane Kiffin. Now, number four, I got Josh Heupel. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, a uh, little homer pick there for Cousin Shane, but hell, I mean, he knocked it out of the park this year for the most part. A couple issues, I, I think the pit game comes back. I think that Purdue game, some mismanagement of the clock. And he may only know one speed to go, and that's damn warp speed. And that could kill you at times. But it's exciting. It's fun. I think it's going to get Tennessee some elite quarterbacks, receivers, running backs. They're all going to want to play in this offensive system. It's going to come down to how well the defense can take strides uh, in his program. But – Man, Josh Heupel, I mean, he's got an incredible, incredible record going back to his uh, UCF days. 
And if you look at him as an offensive coordinator, everywhere he's been, he just, I mean, who in the hell knew who Henry Hooker was at this time last year? He's one of the, probably the top 10 quarterbacks in the country now. So Josh Heupel, just an incredible offensive mind. And this is an offensive game now more than ever. So Josh Heupel, I got him number four. Number three, Sam Pittman, my man, Sam Pittman. Arguably, I mean, I say it time and time again, I don't think that there's a coach that's done a better job the last two years combined. Sam Pittman, just what a remarkable turnaround it's been in Fayetteville. And the roster, I still think, is you know nowhere near the elite of the elite in the SEC, yet the Razorbacks are, are playing with damn near everybody. They only got... The only game that comes to mind that got blown out was at Georgia. That was a buzzsaw, college game day. And then we just saw they just won the national championship. They were the best team in the country. They gave everybody else a hell of a game. And, uh, you know, a, a player two away from having one of the best records in the country. And like I said, I, you know, I'm not trying to downplay their talent because they had certainly had a lot of talent on that team. But I think in the years to come, this Arkansas roster is going to be even better than it was this year. And I don't think it's crazy to think Arkansas one day in the future could be winning the SEC title, which is just insane to think about where it was when uh, Pittman took it over. So number three, Sam Pittman got to keep his assistance or hire ones just as good, which ain't going to be easy. But if he can maintain that, I think Arkansas is going to win them an SEC title under Coach Pittman. Now, number two. Got to go Brian Kelly, LSU. And this is uh, a mix of just how outstanding LSU has been as a program over the years. I mean, last three coaches all won national championships. And LSU annually has one of the best rosters in the SEC. That ain't changing anytime soon with uh, some of the, the staff hires Brian Kelly has made with how great of a state Louisiana is for producing elite talent. LSU Tigers are going to be there time and time again. And we flip over to Brian Kelly. I mean, hell, he's had Notre Dame, freaking Notre Dame, knocking at the door. College football playoff twice. BCS National Championship game once. I mean, that's remarkable. So just imagine what he can do with a much better roster. I don't think it's a guarantee that he wins the SEC at LSU, but as long as those players buy in, as long as he's able to execute his vision, I think it's a damn near, it is close to a guarantee that they were going to win the SEC and they'll probably win a national championship down there in Baton Rouge. So, hey, the only other name on this list, of course, Jimbo Fisher has won a national championship, won several ACC championships, but he's never won an SEC championship as a head coach. You got to believe that day is coming. Nearly came two years ago. Aggies fell just short, only lost to Alabama during the 2020 season. And, hell, they turn around and beat them in 2021. So, hey, the pieces are in place. The fan base is in place. You got an incredible home field advantage. You got to, you know, their big issue this year was quarterback depth particularly, and they've just loaded that room this year. I know they're losing some pieces. I'm not guaranteeing that A&M is going to win the West, win the SEC next season, but, you know, all signs point to that happening sooner rather than later in College Station. Jimbo's got the pedigree. He's got the talent, and they, they're bringing in more talent than they've ever had before. So talent is the key to all of this. That's in large part annually how you determine who's going to win 
the college football playoff, who's got the best talent. That's why we've been saying Georgia all since last offseason, the team to beat in the country, it proved to be true. Texas A&M, they continue to stack these recruiting classes. It's going to be true for them as well. So Jimbo Fisher, I think, is destined to win him uh, SEC championship, which is obviously going to punch the Aggies ticket to the college football playoff. All right, so that's going to do it. Man, this is, a long, this is probably the longest time I ever talked to myself in this camera here. So <laughs> I'm going to get off the line before uh, uh, I start getting lightheaded here. But uh, hey, I've already reached out to some guests. Should have some great, great guests lined up. Going to cover all teams across the SEC hopefully this week. Uh, but more to look forward to this week on the podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you for checking me out and for checking us out. And we'll catch you on the next one.